Okay. So this is um, known in the church as Passion Week. Uh, Some call it that. It's the time when we remember kind of the last days uh, in the life of Jesus before his death on the cross and resurrection, which we will celebrate uh, the resurrection next Sunday. And uh, we're going to be staying in 2 Samuel for Easter and for today, which is known as Palm Sunday, because in God's providence, it's a pretty good fit. So uh, today's text begins in 2 Samuel 16. Uh, if you want to turn there in the Bible, or it'll be on the screen in just a moment. And we're going to meet a character named Ahithophel. Ahithophel um, is basically the Judas Iscariot of the Old Testament. Okay, He betrays King David just as Judas betrayed Jesus. Um, both men turned their backs on the anointed one of God. And strangely, both men ended up hanging themselves in an effort to deal with their own shame. So I think we're supposed to draw that parallel. It's pretty clear. And both of their stories teach us something very similar about the nature of sin, specifically about control. Now, if you remember from last week, David has planted a handful of men back in Jerusalem as spies. He has now left Jerusalem to Absalom, who's trying to be the new king. But David has put some spies in town. And one of them is an advisor named Hushai. But Ahithophel was known to be the best advisor to David before his betrayal. And so Absalom asks Ahithophel for his counsel first. And that's where we're going to begin reading. This is chapter 16, verse 20. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Now, interesting counsel that Ahithophel gives Absalom. And there's no doubt about it from what we understand about the ancient people groups of that time, that politically, if you wanted to declare yourself the new king, this is what you would do. You would take over the the palace, and everybody would know that you're in charge because you would go into the harem, to the concubines. And so if Absalom wanted to be king, this was the right counsel. But of course, by doing this, he is committing essentially an unforgivable sin from David's perspective, right? He's burning every bridge. Ahithophel says literally, you will stink to your father if you sleep with his women. And so that's what happens. But there's a deeper meaning here. 
where does Absalom set up his bedroom? On the roof. Now that may not mean much to you, but where did David see Bathsheba? On that same roof. And that's not a coincidence. Nor is it a coincidence that the writer tells us that Ahithophel's word was like the word of God. We're going to come back to this, but first, Ahithophel has a second piece of advice for Absalom. Chapter 17, verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he's weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. And all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king. And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man. And all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. This is also a brilliant political move. It's good advice from a human perspective, right? But I want you to notice also the deeper meaning. He is advising Absalom to stay in the city and let other men go out and isolate and kill David on the battlefield. Now, does that sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly what David did to Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba. Also not a coincidence. So do you see God set this up? God is up to something here. And what I want to try to do this morning, I have one very specific purpose. I want to try to convince you from Scripture of an important theological truth. This man is actively betraying David, who is the rightful king, who has been anointed by God. But his betrayal is also clearly the will of God. And I want us to wrestle with that tension. This was betrayal, and it was the will of God. Let's start with the prophecy that set this up. What did God say to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12? Do you remember? Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Check. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. Check. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Literally, check, right? For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Pretty accurate prophecy, right? Ahithophel was a betrayer, Absalom, a betrayer, right? But these men were instruments of God to fulfill that specific prophecy. You know, the same thing was true of Judas. 
There were prophecies in the Old Testament that someone would betray the Messiah. The Apostle Paul makes this tension very clear for us. I want you to look at his instructions regarding the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Paul says that Jesus was betrayed or handed over. In Greek, the word is paradidomi. Okay? It means to be, to be handed over, to be given over. Now look at this. Also Paul, Romans 8, different letter. Watch what he says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but what? Gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Now, not easy to see in English, but in Greek, gave him up is the past tense of the exact same word, paradidomi. But who's the subject here? God, not Judas. So, who gave Jesus up? God or Judas? Do you see the tension? And just to be sure that you know that I'm not making this up or twisting Scripture to make a point, okay? This is really old theology, and it permeates the entire Bible. I want you to consider, uh, remember the story of Joseph and his brothers? Remember that they betrayed Joseph, sold him into slavery, and after many years of difficulty, God worked it out so that Joseph would become a powerful and wealthy man in the nation of Egypt. Joseph had the opportunity... In God's plan, he had the opportunity to get revenge on his brothers. But do you remember what Joseph said to them? This is Genesis 50. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The practical lesson in this is really clear, but it's not an easy pill to swallow, is it? Because what God is teaching us in the Bible in, in multiple places, and I could go on about this for hours, honestly, because there's just so much in the Scripture. But what He's teaching us is this. The evil actions of other people are fulfilling God's purposes in your life. really clear. Now how that works in a cosmic sense, philosophically, right? It's a mystery. God doesn't completely explain it for us, but it's no less true. 
And I've got to be honest with you, this truth used to frustrate me immensely. And every now and then it still does, but most of the time it just comforts me. And I think that it frustrated me and that it frustrates us to some extent because we want to be in control of our own lives. We don't like the idea that we might not be in control of our own lives. Solomon, David's son, captures this well in Proverbs 21. He said, the king's heart, so he's talking about himself, right? Is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So we think we know what is best and we work very hard to try and make that happen. But God is also busy working out his purposes, even in the most powerful people on the planet. Now, thankfully, we can see God's purposes working themselves out in the story in 2 Samuel 17, right? Because um, what happens next, David's spy, Hushai, remember him? He's given an opportunity to counsel Absalom as well. And he convinces Absalom to wait and to go to battle himself. And what's interesting is, from a human perspective, Hushai's advice was not practically any better than Ahithophel's. In fact, it was probably much worse. You read it and you're like, this sounds like bad advice. I'm not a military expert, but that just doesn't sound right to me. But what's funny is Absalom and his generals fall for it. And verse 14 tells us why. Look at this. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Why? For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Okay? That cannot be any more clear, can it? They took the bad advice instead of the good advice because God wanted them to take the bad advice because He wanted to kill Absalom. That's what that verse says. Now, it's important to remember the characters in the story don't know any of this. Right? They didn't know at the time what God was up to. They did not know God's secret will for their lives. And neither do we. We don't know what God has planned for us. God doesn't share His plans for our future with us. Okay? Now, I know this is controversial in the church, but i got to be honest with you. I always get nervous when someone tells me they know what God's plan for their life is. And I hear it all the time. Somebody comes to me and says, I, you know, God wants me to do this, or God's telling me to do this, or this is what God wants for me. Okay? The reason that I'm saying this is because I think that it's very close to what the Bible warns us about, something called the sin of divination. And we've talked about this a few times. 
but it's trying to get knowledge or to claim knowledge of God's secret will or his future plans before it happens. Now, I understand why we do this. We do this because we want control. It's actually kind of powerful to say, God told me to do this. Because who's going to argue with that? Right? How can I argue with you saying that God told you to do something? I can't. Except, how do you know God told you to do that? In fact, I want to suggest to you that our sin is very often about control. Very often we use the the language of God, the things of God to get what we want. And James 4 actually exposes that exact tendency. Look at what he says, James 4.13. Come now you who say... And he's talking to Christians, by the way. He's not talking to unbelievers or pagans. James is talking to Christians. He's saying, Christians who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So his advice, instead of, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Right? If the Lord wills. Not, the Lord wills, therefore. If the Lord wills. In other words, we do not know what God has planned for us. We can let that drive us crazy with anxiety. Or... We can submit to His unrevealed plans for our life. And the truth is, we almost certainly, every single one of us in this room, we almost certainly have some major storms ahead in our lives that we would never have written into our stories, that we could never imagine. Some of those journeys are going to be extremely difficult. But whatever God brings into the lives of His children will be for His good purposes. Each and every moment. And Paul says exactly that. Exactly that. In Romans 8.28, he says, For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It is plain, simple language. Simple. It's not easy to believe. It's not easy to embrace. It's not easy to trust. But it's it's simple. So my question for us is: What should we do with our fears? Okay, which we all experience. We we don't we don't wake up every morning just super excited about not having control over our day, right? But what do we do with that fear? What, what should we do when, like the story that we're considering, when, when we feel betrayed? What should we do when uh, we feel targeted by other people or we've been hurt by other people? And I can tell you as a pastor that so many of the, the challenges 
in ministry that I face with, with people's stories involves something that was done to them that they had no control over. So much of the trauma, so much of the pain, so much of just the shame and the guilt comes from things that happen to people that, that they would have never chosen that they didn't control. They had nothing to do with it. It was just done to them. What do we do when we're feeling that? What should we do when we're facing the consequences of our own sin, right? So some of it is our fault. I want to suggest to you very simply that we should we should repeat David's prayer in Psalm 56. One of the reasons that I'm loving preaching through Samuel is that we get to see the stories behind the songs. The stories behind the poetry. David over and over again has been in circumstances that he would not have chosen. But God put him there on purpose. And what does he say? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? If you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with these ideas, these concepts, right, that that God has a hand even in your suffering, even when people have hurt you, that it was His plan, okay? I get it. That's not easy. I know you're going to wrestle with it. You should. You, you, You should wrestle with it, right? But I want you to remember that you're in the best of company. Not just because we're all in the same boat, but because of Jesus, right? Remember what He said. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up. God gave up the perfect Son who had done nothing wrong. You want to cry foul. You want to cry, that's not just. That's unjust. That's injustice. God gave up His perfect Son for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things. If that's true, you can trust this God. You can trust Him. You don't need to feel in control of your life. You don't need to know the future. You don't need to convince people that what you're doing is is what God wants you to do, right? You don't need to worry about the future at all. Whatever God ordains for you is right. That's the main point today. It's the only point that I wanted to make today. And I hope I've done a somewhat decent job of explaining Scripture's perspective on this. And I would not be surprised if I get some questions about the sermon. I absolutely welcome them. Um, If you're struggling with something that I said, let's talk about it. Please reach out to me this week. Let me know. Um, I want to wrestle with this with you, okay? Just as I have over the last 20-something years of being a Christian. Um, There's a tremendous amount of comfort 
and peace that comes from in your heart learning to let go of the future and learning to accept God's purposes in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, this is only a hard truth because our hearts are in many ways like the heart of Absalom. We, we are tempted to rebel against the rightful king. We are tempted to reject what you say is true about us and about yourself. Each of us in our hearts wants to believe that the way that we see for ourselves, that's the right way. That's what we should be doing. This is what would be best for me. We all think we know what that is. But most of all, what you want from us is um, humility and and repentance to see that, that we've been living this lie, that we've been living as though we're in charge and we need to trust you. And one day you are going to erase all that stuff, all the stuff. There will be no more victims or uh, victimizers. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more vengeance. There will be no more, more blood on anyone's hands. One day. But for now, we're called to trust you. Even in betrayal. Even in hurt. Father, would you help us? Would you help me? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand soon.